Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. It's the Payments Professor, and today we've got Angela Lucas back on the show. Now, you guys probably remember Angela has been on several times because she's, well, she's my little perky hemp expert. Well, CBD expert, or wait, marijuana expert. I mean, she knows that green industry is the best way to put it. In fact, today we're going to get straight to the joint and we're going to ask Angela if she could tell us a little bit more about what we've recently saw in the news as far as I think it was the FFIEC or in FinCEN and Treasury, the, the national regulators are coming out and saying, hey, treat hemp just the same way as you would any other business. I've got to know more about this. So, Angela, welcome to the Payments Podium. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today. This is a fun topic to, to continue on with. I, I got to agree. Now, he, here's the thing. Uh, all kinds of headlines are out there. And when I hear, see, hear these headlines, I see, start hearing the discussion. I'm seeing them being posted. I read them. And I'm like, okay, I don't get it, or I do get it. And this is one that, it's been like back and forth. It's felt like this ping pong game that has been going on with the national, federal, state levels, you know, saying one thing one day, one thing another. So do we actually treat hemp like a business? Well, let's back up, actually. Who's saying let's treat hemp like a business just like any other? Okay, so that's a really good place to start. The issue that we run into, um, and we covered this on one of our earlier podcasts, is that, you know, in its simplest form, hemp, CBD, and marijuana are all coming from the same plant. And that's a very simplistic way to put it. Um, But pulling out the hemp part of it and cultivating plants specific to have low THC levels. So federally, as long as their THC levels are below 0.3%, it's considered hemp and not federally illegal. And so when we uh, had that clarification from the federal regulators and we had that clarification from DEA and, you know, everybody kind of looking at it, everybody started looking at hemp as, you know, the next agricultural commodity. And do we want to embrace this? And there's still that connotation at the banking level because banking is where my heart is, right? And so we deal with all of the banks and the you know the banks are still looking at it well it is cannabis derived and that's 100% true um but there's ways to determine that it's not marijuana and that it is actually a legal substance now the problem with this is that um there is this perception within the industry because hemp and its derived products are you know federally legal uh they carry lower risk and when we're looking at, you know, the, the licensed marijuana entities at the state levels, you know, there's very strict licensing reporting requirements. They have to be very transparent. Um, and the banks and credit unions that are banking them have to really understand their transactions. And because of the transparency at the state level, they're able to get licensing information. They're able to watch the transactions. They're able to make sure that a dollar of sales equals a dollar of deposits, for example. Well, when it comes to hemp and CBD, 
first and foremost, um, CBD can have varying THC levels. So you can have a one-to-one -one product of CBD and THC that's sold at a medical dispensary. That's not going to be your hemp-derived product. You are going to have your hemp-derived CBD is sold over the counter at gas stations, convenience stores, online. Um, it does have lower THC levels out there. And so what happens with that is because it's hemp derived, it's not a federally illegal substance where the DA is concerned, but the FDA actually regulates CBD. So that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast that we could go into. Um, but the hemp side of things is where we want to focus. And there are licensing requirements. So these entities do have to be licensed by USDA or by the state or the tribal organization uh, where they're located. And so there is a this licensing is the hemp businesses, the hemp manufacturers, the one they're doing it for agricultural, they're going to have yes. to be licensed to be able to do this. But yes, okay, they have to be licensed. Isn't that like really any other business that's out there? That, you know, payments professor, I have to be licensed as a payments professor and, you know, and registered at least to be able to do what I got to do and pay all my taxes as a business. Isn't that similar or is it higher level licensing requirements than what a normal business would have? It's a higher level licensing requirement. So it's not just a business license. It's also making sure that you have come up with a plan to be, whether you're a cultivator, a processor, a distributor, that you are going to comply with your states or your tribes or the federal guidelines where hemp cultivation is concerned. Okay. And so there is a higher level licensing requirement out there. But it's now, still lower than if you're going to be growing the stuff to smoke and inhale right exactly yeah so it's still lower than what it's less um invasive i guess you could say than what is required for the marijuana entities because they come along with you have to have an application you have to submit you know tons and tons of information to the state in order to even get your license this is much less um of a process to be licensed as a hemp entity and it's state specific. There are different uh, licensing requirements state by state, but in the on the whole, um, it is less than what you would see for a marijuana entity. All right. Well, the on the marijuana side, I know that there are states that are like, just no, it ain't going to happen. Is that same on the hemp side? If you're a hemp manufacturer, are there states saying, no, you can't even do that? Yes. Yes, the states, even though it's federally legal, the states can individually say you are not allowed to be, we won't have a license process in our state, we won't have hemp cultivation in our state, they can say no, so yes. So with this, um, the other part of it is that these hemp growers, cultivators, um, distributors, all of them, they have to make sure that they're still dealing with this legal substance. So they have to make sure that they're doing the crop testing, the crop reports. Um, but, you know, unless it's required by their state, um, they don't have the same uh, reporting requirements as the marijuana entities do. So on the marijuana side, they have to have, um, basically each state has a state track and trace system where it's tracking all the sales, the inventory, the vendors that are used, um, and making sure that everything is on the up and up. There's not the same transparency requirement for the hemp side of business. So there is uh, the option um, that is out there, or the, not really the option, I should say the risk of 
commingling of funds because most times somebody who is involved in the cannabis industry is not just going to be involved in hemp. They are going to have their arms into CBD. They're going to have their arms into medical or adult use marijuana. So, you know, from a financial institution perspective, you want to make sure that none of the funds are commingled, that you're really just doing business with a hemp business if that's what your risk appetite um, is basically, um, if, the, if that's what your risk appetite is. To give you an example of this, um, we just had, we just talked to a, a gentleman who is a cannabis operator. He is a hemp grower. He has a, he has a hemp grow and he is in a state that just recently went uh, or approved adult use. And so they're issuing licenses. Well, the way that his grow is located, it's an indoor grow and they have, I don't know, it's something crazy like 40,000 square feet or something like that. And so they have a firewall separating two rooms. And so one room is hemp. And once they get their license for the adult use, the other room is going to be for marijuana. So you have these customers where, you know, as a financial institution, do you know whether they're expanding into the marijuana market? So you may only have an appetite for hemp customers, but are they changing their business plan? Are they changing their strategic plan? These are the things that, that banks need to know about. So going back to your original question of who's saying it's it's the same is, you know, we're seeing that the industry as a whole, the banking industry as a whole, has this perception that hemp is lower risk than marijuana. The federal regulators came out uh, last year and they said, please don't file marijuana limited SARS on hemp entities. It's not marijuana. Please don't file those. They gave some guidance as to how you're supposed to administer hemp businesses, still stating that you have to do your due diligence. Um, you have to make sure that you're doing business with a legal enterprise. Just recently, we saw the National Credit Union Administration come out, and then we saw FinCEN come out with information of, you know, here's guidance to bank these businesses, should you want to bank these businesses. They're saying, okay, yes, we, are, we want you to support the hemp industry. We want you to be able to treat them like any other business. Here's our expectations for doing so. If we go back to 2014 and we look at FinCEN's guidelines and their expectations for banking marijuana, those guidelines tell you what you need to do, but they don't tell you how to do it. So how do you determine that activity is normal and expected for your customer? How do you monitor the activity? Do you really understand the nature and purpose of the business? The hemp guidelines that FinCEN just issued are the same exact thing. They're telling you what you need to do, but not how to do it. And well, okay. so they, their defense though, are they ever going to be able to tell you actually how to do it? Because doesn't it really vary depending upon your institution and who you're working with? They could give guidelines. So the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that FinCEN does not set regulatory um, examination procedures, right? The regulators, Department of Treasury is going to come together and the interagency exam council is really going to be the ones that are going to set exam procedures and all of those things. So we really won't get the how to do it or what they're really looking for until we get those procedures in place. So there's a lot of interpretation out there, but one of the things that they did say in their recent guidelines is, well, you have to verify that you're doing business with a legal entity. You can actually just get an attestation from your customer 
that says, hey, I'm doing business legally, rather than just obtaining a copy of the license. In my mind, wait, as wait, a wait, former- Is that basically going and saying, will you just tell me what you're doing is legal and everything will be okay? Yes, that's exact, yes. So, you know, that's like the classic, trust me, don't worry, I've got this. Right, right, exactly. And so as a former regulator and as a consultant in this industry, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We're still doing business with an industry that's not legalized at the federal level as a whole. You know, we still have marijuana federally scheduled. This product is so closely tied to it. Why would you just say, oh, do you solemnly swear that I'm not doing anything bad? I'm up to like no that's not- <laughs> <laughs> Right. So I'm like, you know, why wouldn't you? So that's one of the whole, like one of the holes that came out of that guidance of, you know, a lot of these banks don't want to ask a lot of the hard questions. They don't want to go into doing all of the due diligence to really understand the nature of the business. Um, some of them don't want to bank it at all. The ones that do want to make it easy for their customers and these, and I understand that I completely get it. But at the same time, you know, a BSA officer can be held personally liable for issues that come through their institution. Board of you know directors can be held personally liable for things that go through their institution. So, you know, when there's that risk out there and it's just easy enough to ask for the license information and go through and get the certificates of analysis to verify that THC levels are below 0.3% and that, you know, you are looking at you know, the sales that they have or the distribution that they have, is it legal? It just gives you the comfort level to be able to sleep at night. I don't think I would be able to sleep at night if I didn't have those tools in place. Well, I got to say, it's interesting because uh, here just today, I'm posting a video from a podcast recorded last month that, you know, I've given a breakdown that's on human trafficking. And in having the discussion, I was opened up to there is more that can be done by financial institutions to be able to detect the potential for human trafficking and be able to stop it in just their onboarding procedures and who they're working with. And I'm hearing this and I'm thinking there's actually still more that, that, you know, they could do to be able to identify all that. But if you go to something like just saying, Hey, just tell me you're okay. That, that takes it all away. I mean, what, what can be done to help really identify and protect yourself? So from a banking perspective, first and foremost, a lot of these financial institutions don't know whether they have any of these entities in their customer base to begin with. Some of them that have done multiple acquisitions or mergers may have them and not know it. So the first thing is the regulators have come out and said, listen, you can bank cannabis, whether it's marijuana, hemp, or CBD, as long as you have the right controls in place. You don't want to be banking it and not know it. So the first thing is making sure that you have a process to identify them in the customer base. The other part is, and this is the easier part, is identifying them on the front end of account opening. So anytime that somebody's opening a deposit account or you know taking a loan application, they have to ask the questions. And since we're talking hemp, we'll we'll focus on that. Is you know, do you derive income directly or indirectly from a hemp-related business? If they say no, they've attested that they say no. But if they say yes, then you start asking more questions. You know, do you cultivate? Do you process? Do you distribute? Those types of things. Um, and so whenever they say yes, let's just say that they say yes, and they are a cultivator or a distributor, 
there are things that the bank can do then. So they want to get a copy of their license. That, in my mind, is a no-brainer. I don't think you want to rely on an attestation from the customer in any way, shape, or form. It's getting the license. It's getting beneficial ownership information, understanding who the owners are. And we always recommend going beyond FinCEN's customer due diligence role because that role requires beneficial ownership of Anybody who owns 25% or more of the entity has to provide their information. Aren't you supposed to do that anyway with every business? You or, are, you yeah. You already know the beneficial owner rule states that. So I, I, I love, though, that doing that. I would definitely do that. But some of this does sound like you should do it anyway, except the getting a copy of the license and determining what they're doing. I believe that's what you meant, right, is get a copy of the license so you know they're legit. But then also you, you talked about what are you doing in the hemp industry and identifying that? Because are there different levels of risk with the different levels of what they may be doing within the industry? There could be, yes. So, um, and going back to it, but I just wanted to go back to the beneficial ownership for a second. Anytime we have cannabis um, involved, whether it's marijuana, hemp, or CBD, we say collect at 10%, not 25%. So go down to the 10% level. Um, so they'll collect that information. And then, yeah, they have to understand, like a cultivator is not going to have as many transactions going through, theoretically, through their account than a distributor. And so um, you, you want to look at what are the volume of transactions? What's the normal and expected activity? What are the products and services um, or the products that this entity is going to be offering? Um, then get all of the certificates of analysis that correspond to each product to make sure that everything is checking out um, and make sure that you really understand that. Now, the problem is there is a perception that the current AML systems, you know, our surveillance systems that automate a lot of our anti-money laundering monitoring can do, can monitor for this type of thing. That's true to a certain extent. Um, some of them do have keyword searches, but the problem with the keyword searches is not all of these businesses are going to have hemp, CBD, or marijuana in their names. They're going to have very different names. Especially if they don't um, so want to be detected. Well, right, which is a whole other story <laughs> to go into. But they... Um, you know, these systems can't pick it up if the keyword's not there. Um, the other issue is that they watch behavior for any customer. So they're watching whether the behavior is commensurate with what that customer had suggested was going to be their anticipated activity at the time of account opening. Or, you know, if they see any red flags in terms of, you know, a customer said they weren't going to do wires and all of a sudden they did wires or they have increased cash activity. The systems can pick that up, but they're not going to pick up product-specific anomalies. They're not going to be able to show you that, you know, there was an issue with, you know, they said that they were going to do, they were going to cultivate so many acres of flour, and then they were going to sell it to this vendor, and then, you know, they had everything lined up, and then it didn't come to fruition, um, whether they didn't have enough flour that was cultivated or whether they didn't have enough, you know, any one of those things. And flour is probably a bad example because, um, you know, typically we look at flour as, as a marijuana entity but or a marijuana product. But um, just to kind of give you an idea of like those uh, AML systems are not going to drill down into the product level. 
And so you really don't know whether there's been a change in product, whether there's been any product that has tested hot, meaning that the THC levels are high, if you're not getting the COAs, if you're not doing the due diligence. So um, FinCEN's guidance was really light in that they basically said, you know, get the attestation or get the license. Either one is acceptable. Yeah, is and then they the said, 2014 oh, or the most recent? That's this the, is the, the most recent for the hemp entities. Yeah. And then they said, oh, and you may want to get, based on your risk-based procedures, some additional information like crop testing reports and things like that, but it's not a requirement. And so each institution then has to establish these risk-based procedures. So from their perspective, they could make a case. The banks could make a case saying, well, these are lower risk entities, we're going to bank them, and here's what we're going to get. The problem then arises when the regulators come in and say, well, but you didn't know that one of these beneficial owners is also an owner in a marijuana entity, and they're expanding their operations. That's the problem. So from a BSA officer's perspective and from a regulator perspective, it makes more sense to truly know your customer and what they're doing until we see some sort of blanket rescheduling or descheduling at the federal level for cannabis overall. Well, one of the things you, you said earlier that I really hit on, I, I had a bold underline it in my notes even. It says, make sure you really understand. And that is something that when I look at the banking industry, you typically see that financial institutions tend to serve a portion of an industry that they become experts in understanding how that industry works. Like I know of credit unions that work just with hospitals, that they are established just from the hospital and processing just for the hospital. I've seen that, you know, in many different cases. So if somebody is wanting to go into this industry, whether it be the CBD medical or the marijuana itself or just the hemp, it sounds to me like you're saying, hey, you better go get educated on how that industry works and then start onboarding people and looking and applying all of this in place. But my question to you is, how do you get that education? How do you get out there and get more familiar with the industry, get more familiar with the specifics of what I need to do AML, BSA wise? I mean, is there any training out there? There is. I'm glad you mentioned that. We do have some training. So there's a lot of really good training courses out there. And I will tell you, we spent a, a fair amount of time over the last six, nine months rolling out the industry's first cannabis banking certification program. And so it's the uh, Certified Cannabis Banking Professional, uh, the CCBP. It's only available through the C-Bank Network. Um, and so this is a 12 module course. Um, it, take, it does not take very long. They're about 45 to 60 minutes in length with 10 questions at the end of each module. Um, and it really walks you through the entire gamut of, you know, do you understand marijuana 101, hemp 101, CBD 101, and then it goes into the banking aspect of it. And so we've been really happy with the um, how the industry has embraced uh, the certification program because it's really the only one out there that gives that type of um, depth in, in the industry specific to banking. Um, there's also 
um, some really good education for operators um, because that's also the other thing, you know, you have to kind of have a two-way street when it comes to compliance and the cannabis right. operators also have to understand how the financial institutions work. And so there's lots of really good industry education for them, but for the banks too, it's the best thing to have their staff go on a site visit really look at one of these grow operations, really look at um, the processing aspect, look at the distribution, because these people are very proud of what they're doing and they want to talk about it. They want to show you. And we've had a lot of our clients actually have the operators come in and talk to their directors, um, have their directors go out on site visits and things like that. And so it's really interesting to learn how much of this industry um, we could rely upon and really build a better world uh, based on what, what they can do. You know, it, it, it's, it's a couple of comments. It's really interesting that you said you got to go on those site visits. Like I mentioned earlier, had a great call and discussion about human trafficking and how it can help to be limited and stopped by the financial institutions. And one of the number one things was you got to go back to going on site. You've got to go back to looking at it. And I think here we are in a COVID world right now where everything's become virtual. Well, some things still are going to require that in-person visit. And I know we got away from that in the industry. So it's great to hear that you're saying that. And uh, um, people out there, listeners, y'all know, don't normally like to have promotion of uh, any event or company, but the C-Bank Network does have that course that's out there for, I get a lot of questions on this subject. I'm sure, Angela, you get a lot more. I would recommend that you go through that type of course. If you're looking at going into this industry, even if you're just considering it, go through that type of course so that you can better equip and educate yourself and then go talk to the other people in your organization as you're moving forward. But be equipped with the knowledge and that'll make it a lot easier to be able to move forward with it. Uh, so I love that. And also the education for the operators. Do you know of anywhere that can be done? Yes. So there's a really nice company. It's called Greenflower Media. And you can find them all over LinkedIn, but they do a great job of really putting out all types of education. They pull upon subject matter experts all throughout the industry and they produce their education in a way that is interesting and moves things along and it's not just sort of like a click and move through course they do a really nice job so would you tell then because i mean i know when it comes to like cybersecurity, i'm constantly telling financial institutions you got to educate your account holders you educate your business account holders in one way you educate your consumer account holders in another way would you say that another step for the financial institution is making sure your operators are getting that education as well uh, maybe not requiring, but at least recommending that they're going to somebody like the green, blah, I can't talk all of a sudden, green flower media, just key is slow down, and get that education so that they know they're working with an operator that has been presented with the information that is, you know, let's say industry guidelines and standards and expectations. You know, it's interesting. That's a great suggestion, but you know, it's interesting. These operators are so intelligent. They really know their industry inside and out. What they need more is um, not so much knowledge of the industry, but knowledge of how the banks really address their due diligence, what the banking regulations are. And, you know, if you want to get a bank account, what is your bank going to ask you? What information do you need to have? You know, put your portfolio together and take it into the bank. Now, I've seen this backfire 
you know, not in the cannabis industry, but this is kind of funny whenever you're talking about knowing subject matter before you go into it. You know, I look back at the money service business issues from years ago where the banks were like, we're not touching MSBs. There's too many transactions. It's scary, you know, and now it's like, oh, it's not that bad. It's just cash intensive. Right. And it's, you know, transaction intensive. Well, when they were, you know, when we first saw like this influx of MSBs, you know, the MSBs have a certain requirement for pulling in their AML program and all of their information to give to the banks so they can be approved for an account. Well, the banks started to get really skeptical of these MSBs who would come in and be like, here's my binder. And I'm like, they're just well prepared. Like they're not trying to pull one over on you. And that's the same thing where, you know, if your cannabis operator comes in with their nice package of information, it's not like, Hey, they're trying to pull one over on you. It's like, they're prepared to do this. So, you know, that's one thing that's just kind of a funny little anecdote. Yeah, that is interesting. Now, okay. We're starting to run out of time here. One thing I always love to make sure to ask, cause you know, we went over a little bit of the past because you did talk about how we started off where things were in like 2014 with the guidance. We got into the presence and what's happening now, but I always like to cover the third three P's and that third P is the possibilities. It's really the future. And the question I, I would ask for you when it comes to the future of where we're going with this, and let's just stay focused on hemp because that's what this has been about is the hemp industry and what the treasuries come out with, what FinCEN has come out with in guidance. But what do you think is needed next? What would you say is, hey, we need to see this in the industry, whether it's from FinCEN, whether it's from the banking industry, or maybe even the operators. What's something that each one of them could do? The operators, the banking industry, FinCEN. What's one thing each of them could do to help really move us forward? Or if we could have this in the future, it would really solidify this sector of the industry to be able to be profitable, work with integrity, I want to even say. And, and as you mentioned, make the world a better place earlier. Right, exactly. So, you know, one thing is making sure that they all have sound banking relationships. It's not as difficult for hemp operators to find relationships now because there is this perception that they are lower but, you know, from the banking perspective, I really think that if the regulators could come out, the federal bank regulators could come out with their examination guidelines, even if they're just specific to hemp at this point, um, just tell them, okay, here's what we're looking for. You know, we expect you to have, you know, a cannabis banking program that addresses hemp. We expect you to have a risk assessment that addresses hemp. Here's the due diligence items that we would expect you to have. Um, you know, if they would come out with their guidelines, it would go a long way to basically give the banks their study guide between, you know, between or before their exams to understand what their expectations really are. Um, that would go a long way, you know, and also, you know, building up, you know, continuing the education, continuing the conversation, because there's a lot of, you know, people don't really understand how much hemp could, like I said, make the world a better place. I mean, it can be used for textiles that can completely replace petroleum based products, you know, and so we can be looking at hemp as this next level resource um, that we really haven't tapped into previously. All right. That is awesome. You know, you're going to, you know, you're flattering the payments professor when you say give them a study guide for exams, have that continuing education. I think those are wonderful things to hear. And I really do believe that that's the secret to everything. If people know, people understand, people realize what expectations are and they're educated on it, then they'll be able to meet it. Angela, it is always, I mean, always a pleasure to just 
talk to you at any time. And to have you on the podcast, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know listeners out there, they love hearing what you've got to say because you've got that spunk, you've got that energy and that excitement. And most importantly, you're probably the most knowledgeable person in the industry as far as I'm concerned on this topic. So thank you so much for being on the Payments Podium. Thank you so much. All right, and anybody, if you're out there and you've got questions, uh, you can get a hold of me. It's Kevin at PaymentsProfessor.com. If there's somebody you'd like to see on the show, let me know. We'll definitely get them on the Payments Podium. Let them discuss whatever the topics are that you'd like to have addressed, be able to hear from the industry experts. That's all I got for today. Class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.